do you recommend flipping properties that are physically located outside of the state that I physically live in? It depends, Amanda, great question. It depends on the location of the property, the team that you have that is local to that market, and the resources that you're prepared to deploy into that project. Hey, 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 welcome to today's show on The Real Tea Talks with Taiyi, hosted by investor queen Taiyi. On this show, Taiyi aims to empower women, wives, and working parents with financial literacy fueled by real estate investing. Are you ready to learn how to create generational wealth and leave a legacy for your family? Go to www.wholesalingai.com. Now, for today's episode, here's your host and investor queen, Taiyi. Okay, okay, my friends. Welcome to today's show again. I am your host, and I am so excited for today's topic. Today's show, we're going to be talking about how to flip rehab deals that are out of state, specifically condos and townhomes, a hugely undervalued and missed opportunity in the flipping community because of the fear of usually HOAs. So on today's show, I'm really going to give you guys a a real deal case study about an out-of-state rehab that was in intended to initially be a rehab deal to flip it and resell it on the market to a retail buyer that the numbers were so good and made so much sense that we instead converted or flipped that rental rehab deal into a rental deal. So there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of information and detail, but again, we're going to stay super high level so that you don't get tangled in detail and, you know, thinking that it's too much instead of inspired by the opportunity and the possibility that you can do this too. So let's get into it. Okay, so the type of deal again was a rehab deal we initially intended it to be that turned into a a rental deal, excuse me. The property itself was physically located in Henderson, Nevada. And it was down the street, actually, from a major, major golf course, which was just the icing on the cake. Okay, again, location, location, location is something you hear all the time in real estate. And for this prime piece of property, it was no different. Now, in regards to specifically the out of state portion, you can actually say if you've ever heard of the term of virtually flipping this was one of those type of deals because of the fact that my team my husband and i are located in california at the time of this deal physically and again it was this deal is in in a neighboring state which is of nevada so it's one of those things that was in a phenomenal opportunity that actually stemmed from a direct mail handwritten yellow letter campaign Okay, so again, get this, this deal came to us, the source of the lead always matters, you remember that. So you wanna know what sources, where your marketing dollars are being best spent, and for us, it was in this deal, in a direct mail campaign that we physically had our in-house team to hand write yellow letters in red ink, send that out to a list, the list we actually obtained from a local title company. So we had a local title company that we had a very, very good relationship with located here in California. We had an excellent uh, escrow officer who provided us with that list 
to target. And that list of homeowners in that specific area were homeowners that were physically here in California. It wasn't even of homeowners that were located in Nevada. Now, the seller's situation and how we came about this deal was actually if you're like, well, wait a second, if the list was for California properties, how the heck did you end up in Nevada? Well, it's simple. The seller owned two properties. She physically lived here in Redwood City, but she owned two other properties, or I believe she actually owned several other properties, but two of them happened to be in Nevada one of them being this deal now that we're going to be talking about today through today's case study now she used this as a second home she was an elderly single woman and widowed who used this property in henderson as her vacation home a second home but she very rarely visited it so when she was presented with the opportunity to actually sell her california condo that she was living in she actually said hey i'm not interested in selling this one since it is my primary residence but I do have another property I would consider selling for the right price that's in Nevada. And we immediately jumped on the opportunity in regards to uh, exploring and diving deeper into that motivation, right? Because it sounds like a motivated situation if someone's like, hey, I don't want to sell this one, but I have another property that you might want to take a look at. And ultimately, she just thought that this property in Nevada became more of a financial burden and liability for her than a financial asset that she intended it to be because of the fact that it's vacant except for the times that she's physically there and vacationing and spending time there and playing golf with her friends. That's the only time she's there. And she's like, I only get to do that really maybe once every quarter, which is once every three months. So four times a year, she's she's there but she still had a very small but still very real mortgage on the property very low maintenance and very low utility cost so it actually presented the opportunity to actually be what we ended up doing it as a lease option deal now the property was another condo again a hugely undervalued and missed opportunity by most investors but it was one that we were interested in and one that we really felt she was motivated enough to make it a sweet deal so we ended up getting under contract to purchase this piece of property for three hundred and five thousand dollars through a lease option for those of you who may not know or familiar with the term of lease option it just means that we signed a purchase uh, we signed a a um, contract for it to lease out the property with the option to purchase it at a later date. That later date for us was one year. She gave us 12 months to be able to purchase and, and um, exercise our option is what it's called. Okay. So through this you know, episode, I really want you guys to take away from this show the fact that condos and even townhomes can really be a great start for your investment career or a great addition to your portfolio because it really serves the purpose of being a model, a model for beginning investors especially or for super busy and other time uh, investors or entrepreneurs that are looking for a super passive investment. And you're like, okay, why do you say that? Well, the reason is if you're a beginner, 
and you're really nervous essentially about running comps. The, the thing about condos and townhomes that I love also is that they're pretty cookie cutter. They're pretty standard and pretty same and similar, if not almost identical, right? So comps become a lot easier to comp against other like kind condos and townhomes because again, it goes with that static inventory type, right? You're looking at a two bed, one bath, two bed, two bath condo. And usually you're finding comps for just that, a two bed, two bath condo within a mile or half mile radius, right? Within a 20% plus or minus square footage, right? It, it, it's pretty cookie cutter. Like, and especially a ninja tip that I want to give you guys is if you actually befriend and become like besties with the HOA resident manager at these associations, it really gives you the opportunity to put yourself and position yourself to receive repeat deals once units in that association become available for sale. The HOA, HOA's resident manager is really responsible for knowing that information that otherwise may be considered more proprietary because they know of them before they usually are listed or very, very almost immediately after they're listed and hit the market for sale. So it's nothing for them to give you a call, text, or email to say, hey, are you interested actually in buying another condo in our association because we do have uh, um, we do have uh, another condo or townhome available within our communities and we are the HOA company for that, for that property, right? So it, it becomes another lead source for you. Now, if you're out of state or even out of the country, you might say, well, how can I start still make this type of investment work for me. And it can still be super simple because you're thinking, I still have to sign corporate documents. I still have to sign purchase documents. I, I you know, I, I can see how this model can be very fluid, very easy to get into and even very easy to scale if I want to. But what if I decide to move, right? And what if I'm no longer connected to that property or even that market because I decide to relocate. Well, this happens, especially in our business. My husband and I travel a lot and we travel pretty large, you know, when we go, meaning that we have our whole family with us or a lot of people and team, you know, that are, are coming with us or meeting us on, on site, on destination, right? So you're like, well, how, if I still want to invest in real estate and I understand that I'm a beginner, but I do like this idea, idea of having this cookie cutter model because I'm still nervous about running comps and not super um, interested in, you know, a, a huge variety of types of properties, maybe I can really see myself specializing in this condo and townhome as a niche, right? But I travel a lot or I work a lot or I just have a lot of competing priorities, right? What do I do? Well, that's where a team really comes into place, but also your business structure does as well. If you're out of state or out of the country, even like we are a lot of the times when we have multiple deals going on at the same time, uh, a thing that we have adopted as practice is really what's called signing a corporate resolution and a corporate resolution for what those of you who don't know is that once you have a legal business entity set up, it really allows your business partner. It can be your husband, your wife, a spouse, a child, whoever your business partner is, or even just if you don't have any business partners because you're the sole member or sole owner in that company, then a local person you can sign to have them have the authority to sign your name for closings on a specific deal 
or even specific group of deals that you may have in escrow that you're in process of closing if you, in fact, won't physically be local during the closing. So you're like, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about here is that you can do deals literally from anywhere in the world, anywhere in the country or out of the country for that matter. As long as you have this document ability that is handily, handy and readily available called a corporate resolution where you choose a person who basically can sign your name on a dotted line when you're not local to physically do it yourself so that you can essentially still leverage a team, still leverage other people, human resources to be able to get your deals done while you're traveling on vacation or on the beach or wherever you choose to be even if you're 30,000 miles in you know in an airplane in the sky going to your next your next destination right these deals can still be happening no matter if they're condo and townhomes or any deal for that matter it gives you an opportunity to still do deals and structure yourself in a way that you are legally able to do these deals by assigning authority or giving the authority for another individual to sign your name on the dotted line And it doesn't have to be in general for your entire business, for your bank accounts and all of that. No, it's just, it can be just for a specific deal. So say you have this deal that we're talking about and you're like, okay, I'm in uh, Texas right now, but I'm going to be traveling to Miami and, uh, you know, I I really am not going to have the time because I have a super tight schedule and a window to be in my destination and I have a whole bunch of stuff going on. Well, no problem. You would just be like, okay, I have a person named Joe Schmo or Sally Sue and they're going to still be in Texas. And at that time of closing, since they will be in Texas, I'm going to let Sally Sue have the signing authority for the escrow on this property located at 123 Main Street. And all Sally Sue does is be able to sign my name on all of the closing documents to execute those documents in my absence so that I can still close on the property. And when I return, do as I, I, I get my signing right back and her rights are revoked. It's only for that deal until it closes. And the only thing to solidify that agreement or arrangement is what you sign with Sally Sue, which is called a corporate resolution. Okay, so that's like another handy little tip that you guys can know and have and even use and implement, which I strongly, strongly encourage you to do. Okay, again, it just says that you're giving authority to a specific purpose for a specific limited purpose of signing on your behalf for a specific purpose transaction. Now, when you finish that corporate resolution, I do want to note that you need to send that to your bookkeeper if you have one. If you don't have a bookkeeper, let's start there. Backtrack and say, hey, I need to get a bookkeeper before I try to do business. Literally, that should be your very first hire. But once you have that bookkeeper, in place, then you're sending this corporate resolution once it's fully executed between you and Joe Schmo or Sally Sue, right, to your bookkeeper so they can add it to your corporate minute books. Every single thing that you do in your business needs to be documented and it needs to be documented in what's called a corporate minutes books, okay? It's, it's, it's where this corporate resolution and any of them going forward for that matter will live, okay? And for any amount of money that you spend for any reason in your business over $500, okay, over 500 US dollars needs to be documented the amount you spent, the day you spent it on and what the purpose of it was and the benefit that you hope to receive out of 
allocating money for that expense. All of that, right? Did you know that? Did you know that you had to document all of this information? Well, now you do. You have the information, so absolutely use it because you don't want to be penalized for not using it. Now, we're going to go to a short break. Grab some tea, grab some coffee, refill your cups if you have to, and meet me back on the episode in about 60 seconds because you don't want to miss the rest of how to make these deals work. So stay tuned. Hey, listeners, welcome to season two of the Realty Talks with Taiyi podcast show hosted by Taiyi LSR. Taiyi, named the investor queen, is a married mompreneur running a family of seven, homeschooling and a national real estate enterprise with her husband, Ansar. On this show, Taiyi shares their dynamic experiences as real estate investors, entrepreneurs, philanthropists, speakers, and coaches at www.wholesalingai.com to empower women, wives, and working parents to run a family and build a financial fortress fueled by real estate investing to leave a legacy with generational wealth. Through a series of case studies and straight talk, This show is for those who know they can do more, have more, and be more than their current status or title. Join the journey and juggle between babies, bills, and business. Now for today's episode, here's your host and investor queen, Taiyi. Welcome back. Welcome back, Tea Talks listeners. I hope you have your refill on your drink, coffee, tea, whatever you're drinking. I know I do, and I am ready to get into this. Now, before we get to the second half of this show, I did want to just briefly recap because I know we've talked about a lot, and you're like, okay, we're still talking about structure because structure is very important, especially when you're doing creative deals so that you stay within compliance, stay within the rules, and do not try to break or bend them. So again, just to recap, we were talking talking about specifically the structure of deals if you are going to be traveling not local or just not simply wanting to sign yourself then you can do a strategy called a corporate resolution allowing someone else to have the authority for a specific deal and a limited purpose to sign on your behalf for that transaction. You wanna sign that and send that document to your bookkeeper to add to your corporate minute books. You also really want to keep your signature saved in a Google file on your computer when you are traveling so that you can use it on documents like this corporate resolution or any documents for that matter that maybe just need to be signed while you're remote or working or tending to children or whatever you're doing. Because you are busy, you have more than just this one deal going, at least hopefully. And then also you really want to keep a template of this corporate minutes document like we do on your DocuSign as a template or and on your computer so that you can really change and use it as you need it. Okay. So that you're not struggling to find documents at the last minute or the 10th hour, you know, right when a deal is supposed to close and you're fumbling around. It's just very stressful and you need to be organized. You need to be systematic when you are doing these type of deals. Now we're going to get into more of the actual deal and the, and, and more of how that came to fruition and kind of some tips and tricks now that you can employ into your own business. If you're considering or already doing out of state renovation projects or looking to acquire out of state rental deals. Now, 
Now, the main thing I want you guys to remember, remember, remember is that you want to get in the practice of making more than just one single offer. And you're like, well, what does that mean? That means if you're gonna make an all cash purchase offer, also make a subject to offer. If you're gonna make an all cash purchase offer, also make a lease option option. Um, lease, <laughs> that's a tongue twister, a lease option offer. Okay, so no matter what type of static offer you wanna make, maybe in your business it's making cash offers because that gets us into deals quick. We'll just develop the, the practice of making multiple offers. You never know what a situation is with the seller or their specific needs are until you ask. So by presenting more than one op offer, it does give you the opportunity to number one, stand out, number two, be, be, be um, malleable for whatever their specific situation or needs are, and also also be open to opportunities that can really present themselves beyond just sometimes those limitations of a cash offer because so many people in the marketplace are making them. Okay, so you want to maybe use that as your competitive advantage. That is a huge gem. Okay, now also, like I was mentioning in other episodes, but specifically on this one, if you haven't listened to those yet, you really want to learn also about creative financing options so that you are like, okay, well, if I do find the deal, Tai, how am I going to finance it? Right? How am I going to be able to leverage and use these different creative op options for offer types? if I can't even find the financing. Well, if you do want to get into renovating properties or if you're already doing it and want to do it more efficiently and do more of them, then you have to have more access to capital. If you use creative financing strategies, like I was just mentioning for subject to or lease option or sandwich lease option or any of those type of deal structures. And you also combine that with the use and funds from a private money lender that you raise capital from, then you're putting yourself in the position to be able to leverage and do deals with 100% financing. That takes care of your acquisition costs by doing the, the creative method of like a subject to of how you're going to acquire that property and pay for the purchase price. But there's more than just a purchase price, especially involved with the acquisition of a property, whether you're looking to renovate it, to flip it and put it back on the market and sell, or to hold it as a rental in your passive income portfolio of properties. There's all these different fees involved beyond just the purchase price. So that's really where your private money lender comes into play because you're still gonna need closing cost, okay, which are usually anywhere from two to 3% of the purchase price that you're paying, depending on the state that you're in. Then you're gonna also need rehab costs, right? If your budget to rehab a condo usually is anywhere from $1,000 to about $15,000 for a condo, that, that's our average rental budget for condos and townhomes, right? You're still gonna be like, well, where's that money gonna come from? You need to have money allocated for your rehab budget. You also then need to have money for what's called your holding costs, right? That means your utilities that you have to pay, the taxes you have to pay, the maintenance and ongoing uh, fees that you have to pay, especially HOA fees if we're talking specifically about um, condos and townhomes, which stands for homeowners associations, if you're not familiar with that term. And then again, 
you're going to just need to consider your financing costs, right? If you're using a private lender and you're using the acquisition strategy of like a subject to or lease option, one of those more creative methods, you can really be paying interest from anywhere that we have done from 0% to a private lender in certain special situations up to maybe about four to five, maybe four, four and a half percent, which is really our sweet spot, right? That's super cheap access to capital that provides a great opportunity to the lender still in a secured investment that's fully insured, but it also provides you a significant leverage and increases your equity, increases your cash flow by reducing your financing costs. Okay. Another thing you want to consider if you're doing these out of state or considering doing these out of state renovations is that you really want to find and hire a good and reliable and accurate home inspector. You can pay them anywhere from, I don't know, like we did when we first started out, was anywhere from 100 to 150 bucks per site visit that they go to the property physically for you because you're out of state. Every time they go to that property, I mean, we've paid literally as little as $20 a visit to maybe around $50 a visit is our sweet spot up to this 100 and 150 Now, because when we first started, we didn't have these very strong relationships with the with the home inspectors to do our repairs, uh, estimates and scopes of work that we developed off of those home inspection reports. They can be totally useless if they're not a good home inspector, but very detailed and long or they can be absolutely um, helpful so that you can really develop what's called your scope of work, an itemized list of everything you plan to do to that property that you then turn over to your general contractor to bid on, to bid to get that job for them to renovate the property for you. So again, find, vet, interview and hire a good home inspector and ask to receive a copy, a sample copy of the report that they're going to um, be providing you on your visits. And you can also provide them with, if you have a repair estimate sheet that you want them to complete in addition to their own report and photos and video taken for you because you're out of state. Super cheap, super inexpensive considering all things if you're out of state. You also want to consider using a project management tool. Like we've used many different tools and Asana and Podio seem to be the most efficient use of our time to use and our project managers love them. They all, all of our project managers have smart devices from the phone to the iPad. Um, and they also have installed on those, these programs that we use, such as Asana and Podio to really track and monitor the project so that they can stay on top of it and we can manage it remotely as the passive investor. Okay, that's why we employ people like property, uh, excuse me, project managers so that they are the first line of defense. And anytime in real time we want to check in on the status of that project, we can tap into one of these tools that are online based or even app based for us to use. In addition to these project management tools, though, you don't want to remove or negate the human component. You still also want to have weekly calls and video calls at that set up for updates with your team, with your local team. That means your general contractor, your project manager, your property manager, and your home inspector at a bare minimum. Those are the four core people on your team that you want to have. And if you have an office manager or assistant, um, then you you definitely want to make sure that they're on that call as well. The purpose of that call, again, is to get updates, 
handle any potential red flags or issues that are presented to you on that call, or just to provide additional motivation because as the entrepreneur, it's to inspire confidence and motivate your team so that they can do excellent right? Excellent work and be in the right mindset of doing it so that you can continue to keep your machine running. Okay. So again, that home inspector is super important that you hire them to join your team and do this kind of also here, you want them to do like a pre rehab inspection, meaning before you break ground and after you close, you want them to do the inspection. Once the renovation is completed, you want to do have them do what's called a post inspection to confirm that your your general contractor is actually adhering to the scope of work that you provided them and agreed upon before the project started and make sure that they really didn't miss anything. Okay, you want to make sure that you have these systems of checks and balances in place. And you really want to then, once you've completed a deal or two or three deals, start to negotiate a deal with your with your team members, right? Especially with your home inspector that is based on volume so that you can pay a lower price per site visit. Like I was talking about earlier, we got it down all the way to 20 bucks per visit all the way down from 150. So that's a huge cost savings, but it's volume based. We have them doing several dozens of them every single month on the multiple deals that we are contracting and and purchasing and then renovating and or uh, renting out to tenants, right? So it's a good checks and balance. Um, Also, like you really want to now start to think about, okay, if I'm going to renovate properties out of state, I do need to also touch on this very vital component of this financing piece that so many people get hung up on, but it is important. It's not to say it's not possible. It absolutely is. But specifically with this deal, we learned that you need to still remain lendable and be lendable. First of all, first and foremost, even if that means through the project. So We had our capital basically long story short tied up in other deals and we really had, you know, the intention of flipping the property, like I said. So in order for us to do so, we wanted to allocate our money, use our money in more efficient ways towards another project instead of in this project because the other project was larger, to be honest, and the margins for the profit were uh, potential was a lot higher. So you really want to be lendable so that in these specific situations, where you have a great structure of uh, your acquisition strategy in this uh, in this particular deal that we have here in Henderson, Nevada, it was to lease option, get in by lease option. Well, if we would have just purchased the property outright for cash using the private money lenders funds, which we could have done as well, then you being lendable means that the lender is going to look at specific criteria in order to be able to approve you for a loan. So number one, your credit. If you don't have a credit score already, already, excuse me, of at least 750, you still want to go through credit repair. If you have it at 680 plus and you're like, hey, I thought that was good. Well, it is, but you want to be great because it's going to allow you to take advantage of lower interest rates over a longer period of the loan. Okay, because that's ultimately going to allow you to increase your cash flow with better loan terms, the better um, of a borrower you present on paper to be. Okay, 
Now, once you have also four loans in your name, you want to know that banks will usually either have to do or even recommend for you to do if they're good, what's called a portfolio loan. And a portfolio loan is basically giving you one loan to purchase several properties. So it's a little bit different. Um, and because of the fact that a little bit different loan structure, because of the fact that on your personal name, you can have and max out at 10 loans. Okay, so you really want to find if you, you're like, oh my goodness, I don't have good credit. Well, that's not to worry. You can find a partner, a business partner to partner up with or a team to partner up with or someone who you can work with basically on the business side of things, even like a lending partner from maybe a small bank that you develop a relationship with, go in, open up a personal and a business checking and savings account. So you become a customer, develop a personal relationship with a personal business banker so that they can start to lend on your rehab so they can fund as many fix and flip deals that you have with ideally less than maybe even a 6% interest rate and maybe only one point in 45 days or less for long-term fixed rate 30-year mortgage loans for investment properties that you intend to buy versus like a primary residence loan because those are different. Uh, and because they're different, banks usually will likely bump up that rate another maybe quarter percent since they are for investment property loans, since they are taking a bit higher risk if you have multiple properties in your name. So that's just something you want to be aware of. Now, these deals, the, I mean, these loans can be great for deals um, more than just and, and specifically I'm talking about these these small bank loans or portfolio loans specifically. They can be good for fix and flip properties, for new construction, for growing or say establishing a small rental portfolio that you want to continue to scale up, they're, they're multifaceted. You can use them for more than one purpose and for multiple properties, which is great. Now, you also want to, just going back real quick to the inspector, because they, they, they can be really, really vital as they have been to our business, to yours, if you're investing in properties to flip out of state. So you really want to spend some time here in finding a great home inspector, even a, a backup one, right, to do your inspections for you, especially if you're not local or maybe you are local, but you're just not confident in the repair numbers that you have. Right. So then you can have that relationship with them to just be a second opinion or just to verify and validate your numbers for your repair budget budget against. That's a great use for home inspectors as well. A lot of investors actually shouldn't ultimately be using home inspectors because you should, looking through the lens of a home inspector is like looking through the lens of a traditional buyer, in, in all honesty, right? Because as investors, we just have a different lens. We look through a different lens, okay? Now, Wrapping up here, I do want to mention first and foremost that you do want to remember this 1% rule. If you're like, what is this 1% rule? Well, the 1% rule just basically means that the rent rate that you're charging, if you are flipping like we did into this deal for a rental deal after we rehabbed it, um, you want to make sure that the rent rate should be equal to or greater than 1% of your purchase price. Okay, so for example, an easy number is if you purchase the property for $100,000, then the rent you're charging and collecting on that property should be $1,000 or more. 
Okay. Now, lastly, before we end this show, I really want to talk to the folks that are looking to build passive income through rental properties for cash flow and generational wealth because it's a portfolio you can pass along to your children. But you're like, I do want to do that. I love how the sound and thought of that, but I'm a little nervous about leveraging my personal credit to acquire these properties right? But I'm here today to tell you guys that it actually helps versus hinders your scores growth, your personal credit score growth, since it just has so many benefits. I can name several, but just to name a few, it really helps you because it improves your debt to income ratio, which is another criteria lenders use in addition to your credit and the cash flow of the property and the number of loans you have in your name, that debt to income is going to be improved. So you're improving your odds of getting approved for more and more financing. Also, you're going to be cash flow positive, right? By by leveraging your personal credit score and, and getting credit under your personal name, which you're going to use then to start to build business credit, which is a whole nother world and op- option for raising money, right? If you don't want to do it through private lenders, you can do it through small private and or regional banks through business lines of credit, right? Also, another huge benefit of using and leveraging your personal credit to acquire properties is because there's equity built into your investments. And this alone can help you tons when you're looking through the eyes of a lender at a snapshot of your portfolio, then they are definitely looking for if there's equity built in your investments to safeguard their investment into your properties. It also builds and helps to maintain good, strong credit for you personally. And then also on the business side, since you're paying in full and on time each and every month, right? That positive reporting to credit bureaus is going to keep your scores high, keep you financeable, meaning keeping you lendable like we talked about. And it's overall just helping versus hindering your overall financial snapshot and portfolio so that you can continue to leverage both your personal credit into building business credit and then use both of those as additional access to capital. Now, one consideration, another consideration I've given you many, but another consideration you want to have is also the number of loans on your credit profile. Like I mentioned, you really want to watch these thresholds because even though you can technically have and max out at 10, you want to watch the thresholds by asking your specific lenders you're developing these relationships with what their specific comfort level is and what you need to have and even cash reserves, because the more loans you actually have on your personal credit, right? The more of a quote unquote risky borrower in the eyes of a bank you may become. That's like for us, for my husband and I, right? If you max out each of us at 10, that means 20 properties that we can have under our personal name. We actually got denied from our first lender because they're like, Hey, you already have nine loans and we were going to put the loan under my husband. And if you already have nine, this lender is going to be the 10th. But we're super solid on paper, but just the, the the risk tolerance of that investor, right, made it us, instead of closing out that refi in under 45 days, like I mentioned earlier, we actually had to wait 62 days because we had to change our lending source because the comfort level, the threshold of the the um, safety net, essentially, of that lender, we, we didn't revisit, right? And so you guys don't want to make that mistake or you don't want to wait too late 
insight into your deal, into your funding to realize that. Okay. So if you're like, okay, this is so much information. I just want to get a real clear understanding of the priority to do deals like this of out of state rentals and or uh, rehab flips, um, you know, for long-term or short-term holds for cash flow or immediate lump sum appreciation, whatever your exit strategy, whatever your goal is, right? What are my, my marching orders? What is the order of priority? I should prioritize these things in. Right. And number one thing I would say about that is notify your private money lenders of the potential deal that you want them to fund during your due diligence before you even close on the property. Because, hey, all lenders are not created equal. And depending on how long they actually require to fund deals and the the liquidity of that money that they're going to invest into your deal, whether it's sitting in a bank account, a, a domestic or international account, or if it's in, you know, they're going to sell stocks and bonds or they're going to move it from a traditional retirement account into a self-directed one and then lend from there you don't know right and you should know going in but you want to give them at least two weeks minimum at first when you're starting out right that means two weeks before closing and during your due diligence period you want to just send them a flare right so just to kind of summarize and give some perspective to how to do these deals of rental uh, of creatively financing your deals up to 100 percent plus in financing for doing out-of-state rentals yes absolutely it's a method that we endorse we do we teach we preach and we love especially with the opportunity that's presented for newer buyers in the niche of acquiring properties like this out-of-state or flipping properties like this out-of-state with cookie cutter models from the type of property meaning condo or townhome specifically, and and also the scope of work. It systemizes your business and operation. It creates repeat deal sources because you can tap into the um, HOA resident manager as your as your lead source, right? It also structures you in a way that you can get repeat financing because your deals are starting to look systematic, look the same, feel the same, and the lenders know what to expect. So once you get these five you know, steps solidified in your mind and commit to them that I'm going to give you, you're going to understand how you can do these deals too. And number one, that means you have to be under contract. You really want to have a deal under contract first. The second thing you want to have is escrow opened once you're under contract. So you can submit that contract to open escrow. Number three, you want to be very comfortable with your repair numbers. And if you're not, you want to hire an interview and hire a great home inspector to to kind of verify your numbers or provide you with numbers until you get more experience. Number four, you want to confirm your intent to purchase the property through with the seller and then immediately move to raising capital as step five. Now to raise capital from private money lenders, again, give them at least a two week hedge on, on when you're going to need to close and have the funds. You also want to give them the urgency because these deals are usually time sensitive. You want to employ that first come first serve type of feeling to get your X amount of dollars in cash placed. You want to have them to call, text, or email you immediately to commit to funding that deal. Okay. A last tip that I will say about contractors, since I get this question a lot is like, okay, I got these great deals at home inspector and rest of my team. Where do I find the contractors? Well, a good 
place and source for sourcing contractors would be the Master Builders Association in the area that you're looking to flip. If you even just Google Master Builders Association in Texas, in Nevada, in California, wherever you are, right? And then use them as a lead source to finding and sourcing contractors that you intend to interview, select, and hire ultimately. I hope this episode was helpful. I know it was a little bit longer than I intended. However, I hope you got a lot of information and good valuable information that you can actually implement. So again, a good lead source for deals if you're starting out to uh, do out-of-state investing, whether your exit strategy is to buy it, fix it, and flip it and resell it immediately, or to buy it, flip it, and hold it, or just buy and hold it as a rental, right? If it doesn't actually need any work. Use creative financing. Use condos and townhomes as a great kind of cookie cutter model, and then scale your operation, right? Use home inspectors. Use the Master Builders Association to find contractor. Use the HOA resident managers to, uh, to, to as a lead source to generate more leads when they know of other properties in their communities they're managing that are going up for sale right? You want to also use corporate resolutions when you're traveling or even local to have someone else have a signing authority on your behalf to get deals done even while you're traveling or in your sleep. Use also a bookkeeper. That's super important and should be, like I mentioned, your first hire. Again, I hope you guys got all of these tips and tricks out of this episode. Go back, pause it, re-listen to it, and remember, remember that this can work for you if you work it. Make a plan, commit to the plan, have a team to hold you accountable to the plan, and also to help you implement. If you want that type of team support, accountability, and structure, feel free to reach out to me. Um, Look in the description in this episode below so that you have access to all of my contacts information. I look forward to celebrating the wins with you guys on your individual journeys and hearing about the deals that you're doing as well. I wish you guys nothing but the best for this week. I want you to go out and really, really commit to doing something. As you know, if you've heard any of my past episodes, implementation is the key to success. So go out, whether it be to find, uh, you know, HOA communities and markets that you like, whether it be to start to source um, home inspectors or contractors, any of those things or private lenders, especially are going to move the needle of your business in the right direction. Peace and blessings until next episode. Stay safe, happy, healthy, and well. And remember, remember, you can do this.